You guys want some cookies? Even at its most fanciful, the worst person in the world stays grounded in what it means to be human. That's from Ann Hornaday of Washington Post. Props to Chris Cody for finding an Ann Hornaday blurb, who's actually Tim Kirkchen's favorite film critic. He lives in the D.C. area, Washington oh, wow. Post. Hornaday, great. Every time we talk critics, Tim's always like, hey, what about Ann Hornaday? I'm like, that's just good. I'm like, I'll give her some love that's, in cinephile. That might be the earliest we've gotten to uh, what our title's going to be. <laughs> Tim Kirkton's favorite film critic, Anne Hornaday, and she loved the worst person in the world. That's definitely going to be the quickest we ever got to. That is the new, along with this smorgasbord. How about this? All right, you want your shorts? I got your shorts for you. Uh, because now it is Oscar season. We're just a few weeks away here. So I knocked out these and props to Dan Skip Allen, who follows me on Instagram. He's a great guy. He messages me all the time. And he was like, bro, you can find these shorts available on Netflix. So all these are on Netflix. Audible, Lead Me Home, and Three Songs for Benazir. They are all nominated for Best Documentary Short. Audible's 40 minutes. Lead Me Home is 40 minutes. Three Songs for Benazir is 20 minutes. You can knock out three Oscar-nominated films in 100 minutes. Hour 40 right there for you. And we're going to talk about them today. In addition to that, as far as the old is concerned, I know it is now no longer officially Black History Month, but I'm still squeezing there. Come on. We can talk Black History anytime we want here, damn it. Mississippi Burning, a film which at the time received rave reviews in 1988, but due to Revisionist history, it has not been nearly as well received. I had never seen it. I finally watched it. It was on TCM, texting my buddy Ben Manquitz all about it. So I can't wait to talk about Mississippi burning. And here's the big news. The wild card, which came through, we're taping this, as you know, on Tuesday. So excited. So Yesterday, excited. Cody texted me. He's like, yo, last minute breaking news. We got Chris Catan. Corky yeah. Romano, SNL, Night the Rock Sprite. He talks about all of it. Chris Catan, great guy. Doug Butabi, Steve Butabi. And as you'll notice in the interview, normally, as with Stanley Nelson last week, Attica. No, I'm, I'm mainly talking. This week, 50-50. Me and Cody were oh, yeah. balancing. But I said, I was hey, anything you, you got a Catan, go for it. Like, bro, I got plenty. I was giving you a look, though. There was a few answers he was giving. I'm like, this is Adnan level right here. Yeah, I was. Yeah, you know, It's a good tease. Because let's just say this. When, <laughs> when I... Brought up some old movies. He he went totally in that direction. Oh, I was very I impressed with Chris Catan. This guy's more than just a comedian. He likes his old movies. He likes his TCM. We should get him talking about Mississippi Burning. Um, let's do quickly, though, right out of the gate, a little bit of SAG Awards recap, shall we? Um, the, the Screen Actors Guild Awards took place on Sunday night. Looked normal. There's no masks. There looked to be uh, social distancing. I think everybody there was, at this point, fully vaccinated. Um, always a little tricky in the open there. They got Lin-Manuel Miranda with uh, Leslie Odom Jr., Go for a couple of laughs. They're a little stilted, but bottom line is this. I'll make this real quick. Best mask of the night, Brian Cox. They win for succession, which is best cast in a dramatic show. His mask says, of course, fuck off. And the other side says, uh, Team Logan. Uh, then his speech <laughs> is actually quite good. He mentioned, of course, the events happening in Ukraine and then said, I want you to think about it. He actually took out his phone just to deliver this part, which I thought was interesting. He didn't actually read from his phone. He literally just looked at the phone as if the phone just said, hey, make sure you mention Ukraine and Russia. Just a, kind of an odd moment. He takes his phone <laughs> and very clearly like and he looked at it. He's like, OK, yeah, one other thing I got to say, like, wait, you, you had to be reminded of this. You needed a prompt just in case I forget. But I liked his comment. It was not just hey, let's, let's stand with all those in Ukraine, but also think of all those Russian artists. He goes, think about all the actors and writers and directors and critics who can't speak out about what's happening right now because of Putin. And he's like, you know, they can't say anything because of threat of treason. So he's like, you know, obviously think about all those in Ukraine and safety of them, but think about all those being silenced and let's hope that they can have their voice being heard. Nice moment. Got Three quarters standing ovation. I think most of the crowd, it's Kerry Washington, I wasn't sure, but most of them pretty much stood up right away. Nice ovation. Best speech. 
Oh, Colin Ka- yeah. <laughs> poor Kelly Kerry Washington yeah. getting called out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the for camera cut through. Maybe it was Jennifer Hudson. Now that I think about it, before oh, I God. sound like I'm racist, you know, throwing oh, up no. black females, I'm like, it might have been Jennifer Hudson. Kind of like, are we standing? I'm like, okay, I'm going to stand for this one. All right, fine. <laughs> Best speech, though, my man Michael Keaton was awesome. He goes up there. He starts extemporaneously talking, which already like, okay, this could be one of those rambling kind of speeches going all over the place. But I like the fact he was self-effacing. He said, listen, all these awards, people say this night, it's just self-indulgent and narcissistic which is a totally fair point. He's like, having said that, this is really cool. Like, this is a really nice award here. He starts thanking some people involved with Dope Sick, and then he got emotional. Rare to see Michael King get emotional. And I knew this. I haven't seen Dope Sick. My cousin Zyde, Chris Duffy, tell me, you got to watch. I know it's eight hours. Like, eight hours is too much for me. Because eight hours, I'm like, I could watch four movies in eight hours. But I know it's supposed to be great. Eight-hour limited series on Hulu. But Michael Keaton said, the reason I made this is for my nephew. And I've heard him talk about this. He was on 60 Minutes. Great profile. I think it was uh, my man L. John Wertheim did it actually. It was excellent. Went to his ranch in Montana, talking politics, talking about his life, Batman, all that stuff. He was on one of the late night talk shows, maybe Colbert. Did not get emotional. He said it very seriously. He's like, yep, Dope Sick is in honor of my nephew, Michael. He died because of fentanyl overdose. First time I've seen him get emotional. In the middle of the speech, he goes, this was dedicated to throat grab. I'm like, oh man, Michael King getting emotional. I mean, he barely was able to choke out. My nephew died of a drug overdose. Hmm. Pause again. And he goes, hey, to my sister. I think his sister's name is Pam. It was my sister, Pam. I dedicate this to you. Try to get a little bit more out. Couldn't do it. He was like, thanks very much. Like, that's it. So it was a very, very impactful moment. I was, it was great stuff from my man, Michael Keaton. Best speech of the night. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. No, and, and the biggest thing, of course, is the award. So for those who are unaware, the SAGs are the Screen Actors Guild Award. Best picture is the equivalent of best cast in a motion picture. So, of course, I was pulling for Belfast, which did not win. The way things were going at least on the TV side, Squid Game won Best Actor and Best Actress. I'm like, how did Brian Cox lose? Are you kidding? Brian Cox lost. Jeremy Strong loses. Kieran Culkin loses. Squid Game wins. But they did win for Best Cast. It's the equivalent of Best Picture. And as far as the Best Picture Award, the Best Cast in a Motion Picture, bam, Coda, which David Sampson has raved about because he's an idiot. It's an incredibly overrated movie. What is great about Coda is quite simply the fact that it's a different story, at least the way that it's told. Coda stands for Children of Deaf Adults. And the story is about a woman who can hear, but her parents cannot. So she's being raised in this deaf family and you know wants to pursue her dreams. And that's where the movie ends being interesting because the movie you've seen a thousand times. Young girl wants to live her dream. Parents are restricted, blah, blah, blah. Like It's not a good movie in any fashion whatsoever. What is notable, though, is the fact that you have roles for hearing impaired actors. And Troy Kotzer is excellent. He won the award for Best Supporting Actor. He's the favorite right now to win the Oscar. No deaf actors won since. Marley Matlin won back in 86, Children of a Lesser God, which she's also in the film. So I totally get it. I'm like, oh, Hollywood's saying, hey, cool story, underrepresented group. Let's support them. But let's be clear, Coda is not anywhere a great film. It's not even a good film. I wouldn't have nominated for Best Picture, but it was a nice moment that the SAG Awards, they win, and everyone in sign language is saying, love you and bless you and all that kind of stuff. Very cool moment for the SAG Awards. Brian Cox, that is crazy to me that he lost a former Dolphins linebacker losing a SAG Award. <laughs> How often do you think he gets that? Like, there has to be. I've been sitting on that joke for about five minutes, but it was some <laughs> serious. It's really all I've been thinking about for the last five minutes. You had to sift through for... me talking about Coda, like children of deaf adults. You did Coda. films. Marley Matlin. When, a, when can I get to Two my emotional joke? speeches, Brian Cox's speech and the speech after that. So yeah. I was just like, not that I even paused it. Like, I'm going to leave in that gap where we had, where I almost jumped in. Remember yes. there? Where yeah. like, you're I kind of like, gave you like a, and you're like, mm, not yet. And I was like, you know what? Not the time. Yeah, let, let and me then you went on. Yeah. And I had to slide and I did it, though. I got that Brian Cox joke in and I feel good about it. <laughs> I'm glad that you did. I think the audience is pleased as well. 
That's a second words recap. Congrats to Brian Cox and the Miami Dolphins linebacker. Was Why don't linebackers forced. wear that pad thing anymore? I love that. Brian Cox wore that. That's such like an intimidating look for a yes. linebacker. Why don't Why don't you see that? Is it because it, you don't run as fast with that thing? It's an excellent question because you're right. It definitely added to the intimidation factor. And the visor but, for a running back. Like, did Lawrence Taylor have the, like, LT yeah. definitely the visor. Yeah. He also had the back flap too, like yeah. a shark. It's like a shark. Yeah. That's what we call it now. I know. Yeah. I do miss it. It was good stuff. We'll get the analytics department on that. We have an analytics department here at, uh, at Metal Art. What are those things called? Linebacker pads? Maybe that'll be the title. Sure. Linebacker pads. It's a different audience <laughs> rating this week. Uh, let's get to the review, shall we? The worst person in the world. Here's the synopsis. The chronicles of four years in the life of Julie, a young woman who navigates the troubled waters of her love life and struggles to find her career path, leading her to take a realistic look at who she really is. It's from Joaquin Trier, the Danish director. The film is up for best foreign film, which is not surprising. What is a surprise, it's also up for best original screenplay. So it's pretty rare when a foreign film gets nominated for best screenplay. I'm still annoyed that a hero, of course, got ignored for best international feature, as we used to call it, best foreign film. But uh, it's an excellent movie. The reason why I was hesitant to watch it was it's being categorized as a romantic comedy. And I said, God, that might be the, the genre that I have the least interest in possible. Ugh. Why the hell would I want to watch a rom-com? Love, but, love rom-coms. Well, then, listen, you might not like this then because the, the film itself, listen, it is a romantic comedy in that it's about a young woman who is seeking romance, but I wouldn't call it like made in Manhattan. It didn't feel like Ray Fiennes and, and J-Lo or whatever the hell that new one is with the uh, uh, well, marry me, though, with Owen Wilson, like whatever the hell that nonsense is. Although it actually got mixed reviews, 60% of Rotten Tomatoes, still not going to watch it. Anyways, it's not like the rom-com you're expecting. It's not like a Judd Apatow movie or like, you know, one of those uh, Nancy Myers films. It's actually like a dramatic film. Like she's, she's looking for romance, but there's humor involved in her pursuit of find the right man. And of course, because it's me, we need to work blue. So here's the highlights specifically as to what our audience would like. At one point, she's talking to a cartoonist. He's talking about drawing certain characters. And he says it's one of the most iconic buttholes. There's also three topless scenes. All three are gratuitous. At one point, the couple starts making out. The guy immediately rips her underwear off and then goes down on her. Five seconds. And the next shot, just cut to the two of them lying. Aggressive. Still, not saying a word. Yeah, very aggressive. At one point, the guy who is dying says, you know, sometimes life can be strange. It's like having anal sex at a bar mitzvah. And <laughs> that would be strange. And most disturbingly, and you'll <laughs> love this because this brings back to the theme of NFL linebackers. There's a drug hallucination scene in which they take some drugs. I think it's shrooms. I don't know drugs. And it looks like it's taken a while to kick in. So the one guy's that's like, shrooms. That's shrooms. I don't know drugs either, but I think that's true. Yeah. And the one guy's like, yo, I'm going to bounce. He's like, I don't think these are kicking in. He's like, OK. And then all of a sudden he starts to like just it hits. And he's like, oh, God, are you OK? He's like, oh, the whole room is floating. Yeah. All stuff's happening. Yeah. So she at one point is staring at another guy. She rips out a bloody tampon, throws oh. the tampon at the guy, and then draws blood under her eyes like she's Ray Lewis. Oh, so wow. we've got Brian Cox in the show. We've got Ray Lewis in the show. Just horrific scene. But I'm like, I don't know what that is working. That's working something. <laughs> that's working gory. After I was surprised yeah. by top five go. gory moments in the Love and Tart show, that's gory. The ripping the tampon out and then putting the blood under like she's like little, like she's Ray Lewis. Yeah. Aside from that, uh, if you have an affinity for pale white women, you'll definitely like the film. Listen, I thought it was funny. I thought it was charming. If you know what came Trader's work, you'll definitely appreciate it. But ultimately, I'm going to I'm gonna review the positive film. I give it three beliefs, and I hope people check it out. It's not easy to find. There's no question about that. But thankfully, I did find it here in Jersey. I don't know uh, where Chris is down there in Miami. I know you really want to check out this Danish film. The worst person in the world, I'm giving it three maple beliefs. Uh, let's quickly go through these shorts. Because they're shorts, I make the review short. Chris was concerned. Are you going to do all these? I'm like, dude, they're shorts. It, 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 it would seem like a lot. 
lot. No, Audible. I was trying to get I was trying to get out of doing work. I'm like, yeah. do you need stuff for all this? Like, just or? give me a synopsis, real quick. Audible. <laughs> Football player Amari McKinstry Hall and his Maryland school for the deaf teammates attempt to defend their winning streak while coming to terms with a tragic loss of a close friend. Continuing our theme here. Why is it called Audible? Mmm. All the players. No, it's not. Well, that is oh. true. Yes. <laughs> but it's also the fact that they're all deaf. So the entire oh. team cannot hear a thing. Now I feel like an asshole. No, listen, we've got Coda winning the award here. Best cast, the motion picture, the SAGs. And now you get a film nominated for an Academy Award involving an entire school for deaf. And it's crazy. Like, to imagine these guys are so successful. The coach is obviously communicating to them pregame speech. He is also using sign language. And he says in some ways that it's an advantage because, yes, they can't hear anything, but they can feel things. So, like, you can feel the linebacker coming behind you, but to sack you. You can feel the defensive back taking a few steps. You know, when you lose one sense, your other senses become more powerful. I'll take their word for it. I still think it's remarkable this team's any good. And, in fact, they're a juggernaut. The team is great. Uh, I look forward to reading more about them. The Maryland School for the Deaf. Uh, Matthew Ogans is the director. Obviously, Chris and I as sports guys are going to appreciate it. It's a football movie, but the fact they've also got tragedy and – Again, it this continues a real string right now of really good uh, work, at least looking at this community. You know what I mean? Coda, despite its flaws, was an interesting film. The Sound of Metal was my favorite film of last year. I loved it. Riz Ahmed plays a character who slowly loses his hearing and then suddenly, tragically, loses his hearing. And now there's Audible. So check out Audible. Once again, it's on Netflix. It's nominated for Best Short Documentary. Another short one, Lead Me Home. Short film that follows several people living on the streets in West Coast cities. Conceived to be a cinematic study of contrast, the film will be familiar and shocking, intimate and vast. By weaving individual stories with aerial vistas, time-lapse photography, and evocative details of contemporary urban life, Lead Me Home aims to spark a national conversation with the epic scale of this alarming and ever-growing problem. Pedro Crospus, John Schenk, our director is here of this one, and it's about the homeless epidemic. Really well done, particularly showcases uh, families and communities living in Seattle and in Los Angeles. And Simon Damn, I- it's obviously very sobering. When you look at the challenges these people have, I thought one of the more effective sequences of this 40-minute documentary is when each of the characters are talking about the problems that they face. They go, lost a job, lost a spouse, mental health issues. You know, when all these issues collide together, it really makes you think societally, what are we supposed to do? How do you help the homeless? Because if you go to some of these communities, you know, it is really sad and it is concerning when you have this overflow of homeless people living in the downtown area because then people don't want to go to that area. They feel like, oh, there's homeless people there. There's a threat of crime, et cetera. So you have these mayors who are trying to clean things up. But how do you clean things up? How do you automatically get people back on their feet? And also some of these people are, I don't want to say willfully homeless, but they're content to do it. Like they don't want to hand out. It's like, you know what? I make my life the way it is. I make some money. I got odd jobs here and there. I've got my tent. I've got a sleeping bag. I find places to crash. And it's like, this is my life. It made me think a lot of Nomadland, the Academy Award winner a year ago for Best Picture, Francis McDormand. Again, a character undergoes some tragedy and then comes to terms with her life. So don't just judge me and say, well, I've got to, I've got to improve things. I'm not impacting anybody. I'm not involving in crime. I'm looking for a place to sleep. I'm not impacting things. So I thought Lead Me Home was a very good film. And real quickly, three songs for Benazir. I thought it was the worst of the three. Even as Shysta's love for Benazir is palpable, the choices he must make to build a life with her have profound consequences. Uh, this film takes place, I believe, in Syria. And it's about just obviously people that are dealing with the tragedies of just modern day life. There wasn't much of a story to it, which is why I wasn't particularly impacted by it. You know, it's literally just this character going through his life. At one point, though, he does make an odd joke. He talks about suicide bombs and he says, yeah, I'm going to have a suicide bomb on this meal you're about to give me. So I did. I was just amused by the fact this guy does have a sense of humor, despite the fact they're living in this horrible area. Excuse me, not in Syria. It is in Afghanistan. So it's about him trying to balance his life 
It dreams of joining the Afghan National Army along with the responsibilities of starting a family. But I got to be honest with you, I didn't find it particularly interesting. 20 minutes. Was he, make, really was he making it or was it like someone making so it? Someone's about making him. a documentary about him. And then at one point, uh, you know, he's just going to be a showcase of his life. But I did not find it particularly strong. Of the three that I'm recommending, I would, again, Audible, I'd give it three and a half Maple Leafs. I'd give Lead Me Home three and a half Maple Leafs. I'd probably give three songs for Ben Azir, two Maple Leafs. And real quickly, one more, Robin Robin, which is nominated for Best Animated Short, was also not a film that I particularly cared for. I'm giving that one two Maple Leafs. Uh, you may have seen it on, like, it's available on Netflix, but maybe sometimes you see it before actual feature films. Uh, it's raised by a family of mice. An optimistic young Robin makes a heartfelt wish upon a Christmas star. I didn't find it particularly sweet or interesting. I watched it with my kids. I mean, they thought it was all right. It's a 32-minute film. Uh, Julian Anderson's part of the voice cast. Richard E. Grant, who I do love, great actor. He's also part of the voice cast. But unless you like birds, unless you really like that kind of stuff, I did not think it was particularly strong. Once again, you can check out Robin Robin on Netflix. That's the short section. We'll do one more here. Actually, you know what? Let's do Chris Kattan. You want to Chris Kattan? Then we'll do the old yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to him. Let's get right to it. Okay. There's your new movies. There's your SAG Awards recap. We'll come out and talk about our old movie because honestly, Chris Kattan, he likes his old movies too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A real pleasure here on the Cinema Football to bring in Chris Catania. You know him, you love him. SNL, I'm at the Roxbury, Corky Romano. Lots of great stories. And as a matter of fact, we're promoting the fact he's got his YouTube sketch comedy show and his stand-up act. We begin with Celebrity Big Brother. So I got to be honest, Chris, I followed your career, but I don't know what's happening with this except for the headlines. So you tell me, what happened with Celebrity Big Brother? You're not there anymore? Oh, well, I'm definitely not there anymore because the season <laughs> ended. <laughs> It'd be weird for me to remain there. It was. It said. I saw something about a mysterious exit for you. That's what we're like wondering about. Oh, mysterious exit. Yes, it was mysterious. Um, <laughs> was it? <laughs> oh, okay. I had no idea. It was mysterious. I left uh, uh, before I was uh, let go or able to win because I didn't find it uh, a very healthy atmosphere. Uh, as much as I loved the people there and. The, production and and cbs of course and you know all those everybody they are working there i thought the environment was just uh not the healthiest of well, places listen, good for be. you they're forgetting now right hey, some people are like hey tough it out i want to win this you're like no dude who cares like i don't want to be here i'll just bounce now i like your approach. it wasn't yeah and it wasn't like i'm not a competitive backstabber kind of guy you know when it comes to like talking behind people's back yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I know the show, that, that's part of what happens on the show. You know, I would much rather have fun and, and, and enjoy, you know, having fun seemed to be a lot less important than trying to, uh, you know, obtain something, you know. I, so, I totally, um, we, listen, there's a guy named David Sampson. He was on Survivor. The guy's a disaster. So I totally know what you mean. Some of these guys, <laughs> their approaches are terrible and they go into it. What was the aspect of it that was redeemable? Because at, at one point, was the experience fun? Was this something that you did take away from it that was good? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like it was uh, it was just hard. Um, yeah, it was um, I did have a great time with everybody. And uh, it was um, 
you know, it was fun to be roommates with people. And that was a blast. Like Carson is one of the funniest people ever. And, and I had a blast with him and, and everyone was so funny. And, and, uh, you know, like Lamar and, and, you know, I mean, like, you know, like it's like staying up late with people, just having roommates. It was like being at a pajama party, you know, like a coming over to someone's place to play, having pillow fights and, a pajama party or you know staying over at someone's house like for two weeks it was uh you know that was a blast good news is now that you're you're liberated you're not in that house anymore like it's the season in it anyways let's talk about the fact you're going back on the road right stand up back this is so great we feel like we're at the, the tail end here of covid and you're gonna be doing stand-up where can people find you where are you headed uh well you can go on my instagram which is chris katan official or um I'm going to be in Vegas. I'm going to be at Comedy Works in Vegas on Saturday, March 26th and 25th, that weekend. And then I'm going to be at the Funny Bone uh, in um, Ohio. And then I'm going to be, um, where am I going to be? Landel's Castle. I don't know what that is, but I guess it's a castle. <laughs> I love the fact you're going to be at a castle. Maybe it's like medieval times. There's a yeah, medieval going around times. there. I'm going to be there with a joust. I'm going to be jousting people. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> What is on your climb up through comedy? Like, as I'm sure at the very beginning, you probably played some sad venues. What's the saddest venue you ever played? Uh, there was something in the key in Key West that was like very, it was like a half a kitchen, half a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> it was so hot and miserable. It was like, <laughs> I don't know what was like, nobody, people are there. So weird and, and strange and people are there eating dinner. I mean, dinner. They're not even there for your act. You're like, hey, can I get your attention for a little bit? Well, not just yeah. dinner. It was like really weird seafood. It was like oysters <laughs> and lobsters. And and I didn't know what was happening. There were like half the stage was like a fish net and there was a harpoon behind me. And I don't know what was going. It felt like I was on not a straight stage, but a plank. Yeah, <laughs> you're walking the plank. You see where they see a guy with a like patch. on a plank of the ship, right? Or something. I don't know why what is, was why, happening. Why is this guy said R? Why, why? What's going on over here? Why is this? Uh, why is there a pirate here from 400 years ago? <laughs> why is he here on stage? Tell me about Hey Katan, new sketch, shorts comedy show. It's on YouTube. This, I can't wait to see this. Hey Katan, tell me all about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really a, a great excuse for me to do shorts, uh, you know, digital shorts uh, that I can, um, you know, there's one, a new one a week and um, I get to uh, write them and direct them and direct some and, and uh, kind of be, uh, you know, get to perform in them, obviously, and get to work with other talented people, a lot of up and coming funny people that I want to work with that gets that they get a shot to be funny and um you know it's just a great excuse to do comedy and um i love it it's uh it's the closest thing i can do to doing uh snl again you know in a way you know but you getting you get to have more uh you know control and 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 um you know it's just uh they're, they're very you know this it's not about the money at all there is no money really it's just it's just to have a good time you know um i i really enjoy doing it i just my heart is in sketch comedy and and doing characters. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever uh, be uh, ignore that fact. You know, that's what I love doing the most. Speaking of that, SNL, give me the most fond memory you have of a host 
they were the nicest person, the best, and give me the worst, the person that you you never want to see. I think I always get that question right. Oh, damn it. (laughs) Oh, damn it. Uh, That's not good for me. No, 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 no. Uh, Well, I always get like, who's the worst person you ever work with? (laughs) Yeah. Say something really nasty. Who's the person you hate the most in the world? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, Uh, I would say, uh, well, Tom Hanks is extraordinary. He's incredibly kind. Perfect. God. He yeah, was, yeah. And that was a, uh, a sh- uh, you know, that was a shock because, you know, it's it's Forrest Gump. I mean, it's Tom Hanks. It's like yeah. Tom Hanks. So, yeah, the guy like remembers things you said that last yesterday and the guy's like, he'll sit down with you for. I saw him uh, last year at a party and he sat with me for 45 minutes and just felt like sitting down and talking with me about what's going on in life. And it just, you know, the guy takes time out for someone like me. And I was just like, this is crazy. Very kind guy. And he, but nice. we did a, we did this Mr. Peepers sketch, this character, Mr. Peepers. And he was the first one. I, um, he was the reason why that character ever saw the, got to uh, see the light of day, you know, was Tom Hanks. So without him, that character would never be able to be on SNL. Yeah. I think he was, he was great. And the person you hated? No, I'm just I don't know if I hated anyone. <laughs> it's hard to hate somebody. That's okay. I'm That's just a strong word. I'm trying yeah. to think of who I disliked. I think there was one person. It was a musical guest. I was about to say musical that, guest. Maybe like a Courtney Love, someone like that. He was not. No, Courtney Love's really nice. Uh, oh. I would say uh, the lead singer of Oasis was, was a little yeah. smug. Liam Gallagher. Oh, yeah. Liam Gallagher. Yeah. That That is unsurprising at all. A little He's smug is by a nice look, way. Like, yeah. He just gave me a look like uh, it was just like he looked at me like I'm John Lennon and you're a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> untrue and unsurprising. But that I could totally see that happening. What do you think of Chris? We have I've had James Andrew Miller on. He wrote the book Live from New York at Saturday Night. Did you ever read the book? Or I'm sure you talked to Jim in. in uh, Is that the, the one with all the quotes and the interviews? Yeah. Or Yeah, 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 I did. I did speak to him because he. Uh, he was doing rounds of going into people's dressing rooms and uh, interviewing us and asking us questions. Yeah, he was a really nice guy. And I remember him. I don't think I was. I was probably one of the least interesting people in that book. When I looked at it, I was like, God, I really was pretty bland in my answers. <laughs> I mean, even, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow is hilarious in this. And I'm like, what am I saying? No, but some of the stuff I mean, the book was really well known for a lot of things. But among them was Chevy Chase did not come out well. And was oh, is that very, right? I didn't yeah, read was, that passage. Yeah, apparently it was very okay. negative people. But and and Will Ferrell was put his name to it. He actually said, "No, listen, I like Chevy as a comic, and he was been nice to me, but he was horrible to people." I was like, "Wow!" But pretty surprising that Will was was willing to be that forthright. Which brings right. us to a night at the Roxbury. I mean, I'm sure to this day people ask you to do the dance, which I'm not going to do. But remembrances of that movie. I mean, it just it hit such a cultural touchstone. I mean, it made Hathaway what is love one of the great anthems of the '90s. Yeah, he uh, he never really gave us a card or flowers or anything will and i he didn't uh, really respond we were a little surprised not that 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 movie was meant to get something out of that away but uh you would think that with what is love being brought back to life and people bopping their head to it you'd think that hadaway would at least <laughs> phone us or give us a text or something i mean come on hadaway it's your hadaway <laughs> yeah, Hathaway had one big hit. This was the hit. You guys, you bring remember, it back. You can't even see I don't the box. I saw the video to "What Is Love." There was a video to it, and he's like, "I think he had an ego problem or something." I don't know what was happening, but yeah. he, he was like in a. It, it was in a castle, and he was in a. 
big throne and his shirt was unbuttoned and um <laughs> and there were women dancing around him of course and they were like vampire women oh, and geez. i didn't know what was going on it was one of those I mean, there's a slew of terrible music videos back then, but like this one was just like, what is going on? Maybe, totally maybe. unexplained. Vampire women dancing around Hathaway in a castle. Yeah. Saying, what is love? <laughs> That's his interpretation of love. Very Baroque, very gothic. He loves that medieval time. It gets yeah. back to when you you performed at a castle, and now all of a sudden you've got uh, Hathaway thinking right. part of a castle. castle. To what is love? You're right. Everything is full circle. Corky Romano, one of my wife's favorites. I mean, I oh. love Peter Falk. Give me a Peter Falk story. Whatever you got. Right. Oh, he was great. He um, I did a pilot that was my own show. I didn't get any further than being a pilot because I think the network didn't like the set or something. Which was nice to know. At least it was the set and not yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what they said. <laughs> they weren't happy with the set. <laughs> It's the architecture. Right. It's the issue, not the guy on there. The guy's great. Yeah. It's the architect. It's a set. <laughs> but Peter Falk asked me if his wife could audition for the pilot. And I was like, of course. And um, but it was just so cool to get a phone call from Peter Falk. You know, it's like amazing. I, I mean, the guy, I don't know if you remember his uh, his Cassavetes movies. I mean, everyone, of oh, course, yeah. knows him from Columbo. Right. And another thing that he was great, he him and is it Alan Arkin? I think it was. He yes. did a couple of great movies with him. The In-Laws, Husbands. one of the funniest yeah. movies. What was that? Husbands they made with Cassavetes. I, remember, I know that. Oh, that was, yeah. Well, that's a yeah. Cassavetes. Yeah, Husbands right. or Woman on the Verge. And, right, Woman on the Verge of Influence, great, yep. Oh, my God. Peter People Rollins, don't know yeah. it, but, like, there's a, there's a couple of movies that Cat, John Cassavetes did, and for those who don't know John Cassavetes, he was in Rosemary's Baby, and he was right. a great actor in the late 60s and early 70s, but he did, he directed... Aaron acted in, in, a, in a couple movies that were more or less improvised with his wife, or I think. Jenna Jenna Rollins, Rollins, yeah. yeah. And she's amazing. And she was in a movie called Gloria. Was yes. that right? Which okay. Sidney Lumet then remade. Yes. With right. Sharon Stone. But yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. And uh, uh, before that was just. Um, oh, my gosh. I forgot. Someone else was. I don't remember. Anyway, yeah. yeah, the original Gloria was Gina Rollins. That was in 1980, which was Cassavetes. Right. You're right. Yep. Oh, that's right. It was. Okay. Yeah. And um, and and anyway, so some of those movies were just so amazing and inspirational to me, like to watch. You know, my dad, my dad was in the Groundlings, and he, you know, did a lot of improv, and it was great to watch that. But to see dramatic improvisation too was really cool. Yeah. You know, not just comedic improvising, but dramatic improvising. Uh, it's really inspiring to watch as a performer. And Peter Falk was just so good. He was one of my heroes and he was great. The fact that he wanted to play my dad was really cool. So that, was, a, that was an exceptional cast too. Corky Romano of all movies. It was Peter like, Berg. Oh, yep. Yeah. Peter Dan Levitard lookalike, Chris Penn, R.I.P. And, and Vanessa Shaw was fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. it was, uh, you know, a surprisingly really good cast, you know. Can you do What's a Peter the, Falk impression by any chance? Yeah. Just the way he would kind of squint. I, to like, I think everyone, well, I don't know. Hey, yeah. Uh, uh, come on, Corky. I'm dying. <laughs> yes. That's my Peter Falk. <laughs> That's awesome. What is the line you get the most from that? Like if someone's on the street spitting something at you, because me and my friends all the time are always like, I should buy a boat. Probably, <laughs> yeah, I should buy a boat or... You guys want some cookies? Oh, yeah. That's that one too. 
<laughs> and oh. like that, I guess uh, that made enough people dress up as a Girl Scout. So that's yes. good. <laughs> <laughs> Last one for you. Once again, make sure you check out Chris's work, stand-up comedy, which you can check out his Instagram, Chris Catan Official, and Hey Catan, his new sketch slash shorts comedy show on YouTube, which, as he said, he's not doing for the money. He's not even making any money. He's just doing it for fun. But how about this headline? This can't be true. Chris Catan really didn't know Kristen Bell was living in his guest house. Well, you know, I still don't believe that she was there. Or I knew she was hanging out at my house while I was out of town, but I didn't know. I don't think she was. I think that I still think that's probably not possible, but maybe it is. <laughs> I'd be really, although I didn't go back there that often, it's possible if she was, then she was in a sleeping bag somewhere. I don't know. But I wasn't uh, aware of uh, <laughs> it, although I know her best friend was staying there. So it is quite possible she was like, hey, Chris Catan's out of town or, you know, or Chris is out of town or whatever. He's out of town. Uh, you can stay here. And maybe I came back home early or something and she, you know, went in the back house or something and hit or something happened. I don't know. But first you know, world I problems must be nice. <laughs> it's like, I love Sorry, it. Bob. That's awesome. Well, I had a house. You know, in L.A. while well, I was in New York, so I was like letting people stay there sometimes, some friends. Nice. I was like, well, it's sitting there, you know, you could just go in. <laughs> like just the fact that she could be just casually in your guest house made me think of the question. Who's this like, you know, you're Chris Kattan. You were on SNL forever. You've met a lot of famous people, but I'm sure the people that you consider friends is probably a shorter list. So if you were putting together a dinner party with you and three other people who are like your friends and celebrity that you could like show up and like, yeah, I think they would come over to my house. I'm close enough with them where I could get them over for dinner. Well, considering the fact that I have less than three friends, <laughs> oh, come on. I'm sure you could get some big names over you if you wanted to. If you're Lord like, Michaels. hey, yeah. hey, Eddie Murphy, hey. I haven't talked to you in a while. Come over for dinner. Uh, you too. Both of you guys. Yeah, yeah we're in. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, we're in. Okay, good. Somebody's oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, that's a good dinner. Though. Are you I kidding? We're in. We're already the dinner is great. Us two <laughs> and the ghost of Peter Falk. I'll just do Peter Falk and yes. Hey, yeah. sorry, I'm late. I'm a ghost. <laughs> what do you want? Chris Kattan, make sure you check him out once again. Stand up, Chris Kattan official is his Instagram. Go find him, go see him in Vegas, Ohio, and Hey Kattan, which is available on YouTube. Chris, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks, you guys. I had a blast. That was really fun. Thank you, man. All right, Celebrity Big Brother. We're a little off on that awkward moment, but I like the fact we got back on the back on the road. I enjoyed Chris Kattan. I, I was sometimes you never know with these comedians that used to be on SNL. Do they like talking about this stuff? You never know with somebody of Chris Kattan's like age bracket if he's going to be into just talking about all his old stuff. Yes. Or whether he's going to be just like totally focused on new stuff. But he was really cool, willing to talk about anything. I enjoyed that. Steve Gutenberg. I did not know what he was promoting, and so when we first came on. This is when I was at ESPN. Josh, who was the talent booker, I didn't know he was promoting. I was like, all right, Steve Goomer, how are you doing? What's going on? And I said, what's going on? And he's like, not much. Hoping he would tell me what he was promoting. So yeah. I said, well, look, I look forward to talking to you. you know, please come me all that stuff. And he's like, oh, audible groan. Like, are you okay? He's like, I just, if you want to do all that stuff, like I'm just, I'm not much of a memory lane kind of guy. 
And I go, oh, okay, well, I mean, what, don't worry. We'll, we'll focus on the present. Go from there. If you listen back to the interview, which you can listen on Cinefile, the first five minutes, like, we're just talking because I have no idea what he's promoting. So I'm like, how you been, man? How's it, I've been going. How's the family? Yeah. Like, what's, what do you think of the state of the world right now? I'm like, I didn't know what to ask him. What did you do for dinner last night? Yeah. Eventually, <laughs> he got to the fact he was on an episode of Ballers. I'm like, that's what you're promoting? You're on an episode of Ballers. Okay. And then I squeezed in a little bit of Police Academy. Although I did like his answer at one point. I'm like, I don't know if I said, do you have any regrets? But I said, you've taken some criticism from critics. He's like, hey, some of those films I made, you know, support my family. I'm like, all right, that was the excuse for Police Academy six i needed the paycheck want to get the kids through college i'm like yeah i made some crappy movies what are you gonna do about i'm steve gutenberg before you get to uh the old i we were talking earlier about rom-coms and how much you hate them mm-hmm. i think we might have found the segment every week one or two minutes chris's rom-com of the week dude i love it that's something that you're gonna feel engaged by if that's gonna make you motivated well if that's gonna make you watch reservoir dogs then i'm all for it <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, in favor of that idea. Rom-coms that Chris loves that I can't stand. Right? I've never even maybe seen. once every three weeks. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, I'm open to the idea. I'm I love open how to I pitched suggests. it and I'm already bailing on it. And I was just like, I do want to get some more social media interaction. Like Cinephile Pod, add me on Esfork. I did not see one tweet after our segment. Great role, a great actor, John Hamm. So I think it was a bomb. Nobody cared. Maybe yeah. nobody, nobody's using Twitter anymore, but maybe nobody cares. Yeah. Even with that great imaging, it still didn't take off. It's wild. Yeah. Um, let's talk Mississippi burning, and then we got a dip. Mississippi Burning, in honor of Black History Month, as we continue over now into March. It's a film that I've never seen. 1988, it came out. Roger Ebert called it the best picture of the year, but it's been heavily criticized by the fact it looks at civil rights through the white lens. It's about what happened with the disappearance of some civil rights activists based on a true story. I believe one black, two white accomplices. But two FBI agents, both white, wildly different styles arrive in Mississippi to investigate the disappearance of those activists. So you're telling a black story through the lens of two white actors. And as Ben Mankiewicz, the marvelous host of Turner Classic Movies, he mentioned it in his intro the other night as I watched the film. He goes, listen, this is definitely a fair critique of the film, but blame Hollywood. That does not take away from the fact that this is still an excellent film. Yes, it's problematic and concerning, but Alan Parker, the director, even said in the notes of the film, honestly, unless we told this film through the white lens, it probably wouldn't have been made. That's the Hollywood studio system. They're not going to bankroll a movie being told from these black people who are being mistreated by Mississippians in 1964. But if it's told through the story of these white agents and the heroic FBI and those guys are Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe, well, then we'll make a film. Ultimately, I found the movie to be a mixed bag. I'll tell you what I like about it. Gene Hackman's unbelievable. Gene Hackman's just a great actor. Okay, The guy won an Academy Award for obviously the French Connection. He won for Unforgiven. Next week, I'm going to talk about a film called Scarecrow, which is awesome. But at one point, Gene Hackman, who is playing Gene Hackman, he's gruff. He's tough. He's in your face. He's got his own way to do things. He's talking to all the racists because he knows the KKK killed these guys. And at one point grabs a guy by the nuts and says, do you know how much you bleed when someone cuts off your balls? Looks like he's been dipped in blood up to his waist. And he says, at one point, if you slice off his scrotum, you can put it in a coffee cup. He also grabs a guy at one point, abusing him. He goes, listen to me, you shit kicker. Like only Gene Hacker can really sell shit kicker. Get right in the guy's face. 1964, Mississippi. Like I said, he owns the screen. It's a commanding performance. It's one of his best roles. He was nominated for Best Actor. The film itself was up for Best Picture, Best Director. Willem Dafoe, who's one of my favorites, not a particularly notable role. He plays the Boy Scout straight arrow agent. Doesn't have a whole lot to do. Although he looks quite handsome. I got to be honest. That, that age was before he looked kind of weird looking. Willem Dafoe yeah. actually kind of a handsome guy. The real revelation, I had no idea. Frances McDormand is in the film. That's right. Fargo, known as uh, Joel Cohn's better half. She was not only for Best Supporting Actress. She plays a very critical character, Mrs. Pell, who is married to one of these racists who ends up being a real help towards the FBI. The other issue with the movie, and again, it's fairly atmospheric. It won the Oscar for Best Cinematography, and it deals with an important subject. But it also makes the FBI look like heroes, which if you know anything with the FBI, I mean, God, those guys are a disaster. When it comes to civil rights, could you find anybody more racist than J. Edgar Hoover? And this is 1964. So 
You have to kind of park the fact that, yes, it's told through the white lens. Don't believe the film. That's just the way the film was done. And let's park our actual ideas of what the FBI is all about and try and enjoy a story, which is trying to do the right things. It's trying to be righteous and show why racism is such a bad thing. But I think you can enjoy the film on its own merits. Good supporting cast. Arlie Ermey, who's great in Full Metal Jacket. Stephen Tobolowsky, Pruitt Taylor Vince. Kevin Dunn, Brad Dourif, Michael Rooker, who plays a horrible racist, Frankie Faison, really good cast from 1988. I'd never seen it. I'm glad that I saw it. Like I said, it's a mixed bag for me. I'd give it two and a half Maple Leafs. I'm not as bullish as Roger Ebert calling it the best film of 1988, but I also think it shouldn't be as criticized as perhaps it's been by some. I'm going to recommend Mississippi Burning, two and a half Maple Leafs. Thank you so much for checking out the latest Cinephile. Thanks as always to Chris Cody. Thanks to Chris Catan. We look forward to lots more coming up. I cannot wait to tell you how excited I am about the Batman. I haven't done this in a long time. I went to my local theater, not the AMC, the local theater, and said, I want tickets for Batman Friday night. It's a three-hour movie. Four o'clock show or eight o'clock show. I'm taking my two older boys, 13 and 10. Already got my tickets. Five days in advance. Nice. I cannot wait. Listen, you know me. I do not like these superhero movies. I'm out on the MCU universe. I don't care for Marvel. I'm tired of it. I'm with Scorsese, but I love the Batman. I'm a pro Batman guy. Dark, brooding, self-loathing, violent. I've always been a Batman guy. Let's go, Batman. You went to the theater to get your tickets when you went could, there. When you bought sure them, them online? No, no, it's five minute drive. I like to do it in person. Like, I like to get you three tickets. But just go to online, little three, boom, tickets. No, five minutes. And the guy, I see the guy, go, am I the first to buy tickets? This is a week in advance. No, I bought it on a Saturday movie coming up Friday. I go, I'm doing this six days in advance. Am I the first one? She goes, no, somebody else already actually bought four tickets. I go, am I the second person to purchase tickets? She said, yes. Like, All right. That, that is one of the oldest things that you'll probably do. In fact, I still own DVDs and I like to go to the movie theater to purchase advanced tickets. But I haven't <laughs> done this in a time. long time. But not just going there, ahead of time going there. Yeah, ahead of time going there. That was chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Thanks so much for checking out Cinephile. Next week, The Batman. And we'll see you at the movies. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.